You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. I'm Gary Bershears. I'm one of the elders here at Grace, and I have a hero. Do you guys have heroes? Do you? Actually, I'm giving you an assignment for two weeks from today because I'm back here preaching again, and we're doing Matthew 18. And what I want to do is I want to know who is the greatest person you know, living or dead. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to take a microphone and stick it in your face. No, I probably won't do that, but I might. You never know. You online, you can do it. Yeah, you can. And those of you listening later, you know, send us an email. Uh, that's two weeks. I am a reader. This is Mark Clark's book, The Problem of Jesus. He also did a great book, The Problem of God. He's a pastor up in Vancouver, B.C., and he just does a really good job of taking real questions and giving real answers to them. And in the foreword of the book, Ray Johnston, who's the founding pastor at Bayside Community Church down in the Sacramento area, talks about a trip he did to South Africa. And if you know that name, you probably associate with apartheid, which is the segregation, extreme segregation. And he arrived with his wife just after Nelson Mandela was elected prime minister. And it signaled a huge change in the man who had been imprisoned for years because as a black activist, he was... But in prison, he had a meeting with Jesus. And that meeting with the power of Jesus changed Mandela deeply. And when he came out and they voted the end of apartheid, one of the groups that was very, very, very slow to change was the church. Because they'd been taught for years that black and white were divisions that God made and the two should not, all the nonsense with apartheid. And he just felt the tension, Ray Johnston did, while he was there because people, the churches were so resistant to black and white coming back together again. And he was going to preach in a church on like the second Sunday he was there, and he just, oh my gosh, it's going to be terrible. He went, the ch- went to the church, and he found all kinds of people, young, old, men, women, black, white, together, coming into this church building, and he was just astonished. Somebody introduced him, the pastor, and he said, Are, have you guys always been like that? Oh, no, 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 this is our second Sunday like that. What happened? He said, we had a board meeting. And when he walked into the board, there was a chair up in front that was for the great man. And in Africa, great man is is the chief. And the pastor was supposed to sit in that chair, had for years. And he said, I'm not going to sit in that chair. Because from here on, Jesus is the leader of our church. That's Jesus' chair, not mine. And he said, we're going to see Jesus, and we're going to let that change us as it needs to be. Two weeks later, the presence of Jesus had changed that church. Because they had seen the majesty and power of Jesus, it was one of the first larger churches to come back and become fully integrated. And Ray Johnson says the celebration that morning was unparalleled for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. What we're going to look at this morning in Matthew 17 
is another one of those experiences. It's called the Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. We'll put it up here so you can see it, but if you've got your Bibles or just, it's, it's a story of experiencing the majesty of Jesus. I want to read it and then we'll unpack it together. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Peter said, Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. But Jesus came, touched them, said, Get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, there was no one but Jesus. As they're coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't say anything to anyone about what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, well, why did the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, well, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things, but I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, and they have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood he was talking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I have to put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you had faith as the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Oops, one more. Yeah, there we go. Okay, now let's do it. This is the word of the Lord. And you say, thanks be unto the Lord. Well, so much for PowerPoint. <laughs> Some things would be impossible. You know, I look at this story, and I think where we've been in this story so I need to get back to We went a long ways. Did... Oh, I see what happened. Okay. I'm pushing the wrong button here. There we go. I, when I look at the, what's happened up to here, Jay preached us two weeks ago on Peter's affirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And then Jesus turned around and said to him, the Son of Man is going to be crucified. And Peter said, no way. Because he'd been reading his Bible and knows Messiah crushes. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You've become an adversary to me. Jesus will be crucified? That's not supposed to happen to the Messiah. And Jesus said something else to these disciples, and Gabe took, or Sean took us through it last week. He said, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Disciples are going to be crucified. Good news or bad news? Yikes. And then he said, in just a few days, you will see the kingdom of God. That's leading up to our story. Now continues six days later. He takes the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, up onto the mountain, and there he was transfigured. And this man who just said, I'm going to die, this man who has been tired and hungry, no place to live, is now shining like the sun. What they did here is they, ex they ascended the mountain to experience the majesty. And up there they saw Jesus on the high mountain. And that reminds us of all kinds of things. It reminds us of Exodus 24, where Moses and Joshua and Nadab and Abihu ascended the mountain, and there they saw the Lord. This story parallels the Exodus, 34 story, Exodus 24 story very, very closely. We also think of the Mount of Temptation, where Satan took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him the kings of the world. We think of the mount where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. We think of the mountain where he went up after a difficult day to be alone and pray. We think of the mountain where, in a little ways later, after the resurrection, he's going to give the disciples the Great Commission and tell them to take the gospel of the whole world. Mountains have all kinds of significance where God meets man. But at this point, Jesus turns out to be God. Now, where is it? The story starts in chapter 16 at Caesarea Philippi, up to the north, just as far north as you can go in, in Israel. Uh, possibly, the mountain they went to was a little further north, Mount Hermon, the highest mountain in the region by lots, a very majestic mountain. But it's not in Galilee. It's not in Israel. Could be there. Uh, the traditional place is Mount Tabor, down south. Uh, in fact, the, over by the seminary where I work, we're right at the foot of Mount Tabor, and, uh, but at that point, there's a Roman garrison on top of that mountain. And it's way south. Even though it's a traditional place, it's probably not the right place. A real possibility is up here, the highest mountain in Israel, Mount Moron. And if you follow the news, you know that a, a month ago, you heard of the stampede where a whole bunch of people were killed because they're in a Jewish festival. That was Mount Moron. There had been a long-time festival there because a second-century powerful rabbi is buried on that mountain. It's been a gathering place to celebrate the goodness of God and the teaching of God for years. It's the second most visited place in Israel that you probably never heard of because you're not Jewish. <laughs> Could be there. And then from there, they're going to go down to Capernaum. So where it is, we don't know. I'm inclined to think it's probably Mount Moron, but wherever it is, it's a high mountain. That's where Jesus is. Moses and Elijah. 
Now, everything in this story has significance. Why Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus? Why not like Gabriel and Raphael or, you know, but no, it's Moses and Elijah. Well, probably when they speak with Jesus, it's uh, the fact that Moses represents the Torah. Elijah represents the prophets, a way of saying this is the whole Old Testament, which is a unified story leading to Jesus. Another possibility is both of these prophets had seen God on Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And there they were powerful, powerful prophets who had seen the Lord on his mountain, Mount Sinai. I'm inclined to think those are true, but beyond that, we look in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 18, and we have a prophecy that says, I will rise up, I will raise up a prophet like you, God speaking to Moses. I will put his words in my mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. And at the end of Deuteronomy 34, we find this posting note on it that's written much later, perhaps as late as 2nd century B.C. when the final form of the canon was put together, the Old Testament, but whatever, it's, it's later, and no prophet has arisen. They're still looking for that prophet like Moses. In Malachi, it says there, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, and the Lord your seeking will come to his temple. Well, who is the messenger? Well, a little later in Malachi, it identifies the messenger as the prophet Elijah. So these are forerunners of Messiah. So you see all kinds of significance that Moses and Elijah are speaking to tell us what's happening here. This is everything pointing to Messiah, and now the Messiah is transfigured and white as light in his majesty. Peter. Good guy or bad guy? Actually, I think he's a good guy. He is passionate to follow Jesus. He's trying to figure him out. He's got a mouth on him, and it gets engaged before his brain does sometimes. But he's trying desperately to understand Messiah, and he's passionate to follow him. He never leaves Messiah, ever, not even when he denies him. And he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And, I mean, he's having this incredible experience. We recognize that he's remembering Exodus 24. He has to be. And he remembers that he got it wrong just a, six days earlier. So this time he says, if you wish, you know, it's up to you, Jesus, but like, I could build some shelters. I could do this. He's, uh, well, why is he wanting to do it? Why is he wanting to build tents, tabernacles, shelters, for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, all kinds of things. I'm inclined to think that he recognizes what's happening, and Peter wants to show hospitality and also to remain in the heavenly presence. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with God so much. He's excited by what's happening. Many people pray Peter's an idiot. I don't think so. I think I think his response is because he remembers in the Old Testament that God meets people in the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle? That's the tent that they took through the wilderness to be the temporary temple until that Solomon built that temple later on. I think he's remembering the tabernacle. That's where God dwelt. But that was a group experience. Another possibility is the tent of meeting. In Exodus 33, where 
Moses went out and built a tent. And when God would come and talk to him in the cloud, he would meet him at the tent. And the people would see God and Moses meeting in the tent. And they would wonder at what was happening. Actually, this is probably what Peter's thinking, is Exodus 33 experience. Another possibility is the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, which is the, one of the three great feasts of the Jewish calendar. Sukkot is the, the name of the, the festival. And to this day, they celebrate Sukkot. It's, it's the fall festival. And they build a, you see here, a nice house, and you build a tent in the backyard, and you live in it for six days to remember that one day we walked through the wilderness with God leading us. That's uh, where he's getting these things. While he's still speaking, God is not polite. (laughs) He interrupts the thing with the glory cloud coming toward them and covers them up. The glory cloud envelops them. Now, this is not just, you know, fog. This is the glory cloud of God comes toward them and covers them over. And they hear the voice. And they hear the voice. This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. That's exactly what God said to him at the baptism when he inaugurated for messianic work. But now Peter, James, and John hear that. And he adds one more phrase. This is Psalm 2 and Psalm 42, put to, or Isaiah 42, put together. Listen to him, which is Deuteronomy 18, the prophet like Moses. Listen to him. And what God is saying here is, I am pleased with my son. With Peter, James, and John there, and the rest of us, what we look when we think back is, hear him, my church, and I will be pleased with you. Hear means to listen responsibly, listen obediently, and that's, that's what we're reminded, is that when Messiah speaks, this is God speaking, and we listen and hear responsibly, and that's when we'll get God saying, I am pleased with you. Their response? I don't know what my response would be. I wasn't there. They were terrified, terrified by the glory cloud. Now, this is not the first time around. Remember back in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's in the temple, and he has a vision of the heavenly Messiah, again like the Exodus 30, 24 vision, And when he sees the glory, he falls on his face. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He is terrified. God comes and touches him, and he's cleansed, and then he stands up and God commissions him. There are a lot of stories like that. Daniel, when Gabriel shows up to him, he's on his face like he's dead. Happens a lot. When people see God, it's an overwhelming experience. But what Jesus does... They're on their face in dread, terror. They know they're dead because of the overwhelming power of the presence of God. And Jesus, like God in Isaiah chapter 6, comes over and touches them. Get up, he says. And remember, when you're in a narrative like this, always stop and think, what's the tone of voice? What's going on around? 
So you're one of the disciples. You've got your head in the ground and, oh, God, please. And you hear Jesus say, get up. I don't think it's get up. I think it's get up. Full of hope, full of restoration. Don't be afraid. They should be afraid. Oh, my gosh, they should be. You don't have to be afraid. It reminds us in Revelation chapter 1, John, who is there, who is leaning in Jesus' breast up against him in close intimacy at the Last Supper, the one who's at the foot of the cross, and Jesus says, take care of my mom, sees Jesus, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I mean, that just echoes what happened in the Mount of Transfiguration. And what we see happening is Jesus is resurrecting the disciples. And one of the things I find myself thinking, what would I feel if I honestly came into the presence of God? I hear people all the time, oh God, I want your presence, that kind of stuff. This does not bode well for being in the presence of God. Because you're in the majestic presence of God, it is an overwhelming, powerful reality. I was at a meeting recently, a prayer connection meeting, and the, the leader was asking people, okay, I'm doing imagination exercise, imaginative prayer, which I think is a great idea. Okay, just imagine God is beside you. What does he look like? And somebody said, oh, he's here, he's got an arm around me. Somebody said, yeah, he's here, he's got jeans and flip-flops. And I found myself, because I'm meditating in the sermon, I don't think so. Jesus may be, but when God shows up, it is a terrifying presence. But that's not the end of it. Because then Jesus comes, says, get up. Don't be afraid. I've got work for you to do, and I'll be with you. So they're coming down the mountain, and he says, don't tell anybody until after the resurrection. Why? Who would believe it? Remember, Jesus is a guy walking around eating fish and casting out demons. He's a pretty ordinary guy in a lot of ways. They ask him, why should Elijah come first? And Jesus says, yeah, he'll, he'll come, but here's the thing. Elijah has already come, and they did with him as they wished. What does that mean? Well, we heard the sermon. They chopped his head off because of the nonsense going on between Herod Antipas and his wife, his illegal wife. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Again, the one who had just seen in divine majesty says, I'm going to suffer and die. They understood you're talking about John the Baptist, of course. But do we go on? We think about this. They're now descending from the Mount of Majesty to the world of misery. Peter and all of us want to maintain the mountaintop experience, but it doesn't work that way. You have to defend to the realm of misery. And then the question is, what are you going to do? Now, Jesus comes down with three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and when they get to the bottom, a man approached Jesus and he's just crying out. Desperation of a loving father. Begging Please, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. 
In a small way, I did that same thing a week and a day ago. One of our students at the seminary is Congolese from the city of Goma. Her family is in Goma, and if you've been following the news, you know the volcano that's just north of Goma, between Goma's and the city between the mountain and the lake, and that mountain blew up later at night. And when I got to my phone, there was a voicemail from Esther saying that her family was told to evacuate the city, to leave their home. And at 11 o'clock at night, they were on the road, on foot, in the rain, hoping that at a town 10 kilometers away, they would find a friend who would give them hospitality. I called Esther back, and she didn't pick up, but about three minutes later, she called me. I was up in Seattle last weekend, and she began telling me with tears what it was like for her family. She'd been WhatsApping with them as they were on the road. And as she was telling the story, and I heard her tears and her agony for her family, she's here in Portland, I found myself just praying, Lord, have mercy. And we prayed together for a long time, that cry, Lord, have mercy. It's so bad, and there's nothing we can do. Well, God, have mercy, and her family were back in their home by morning, as it turned out, but now they're out of their home because the volcano could, is under the city and could at any moment erupt. Jesus' response, bring the boy to me. Bukes the demon, it came out and healed in a moment. Jesus just does that. The suffering son meets the suffering son who is also the majestic Lord, and he's healed immediately. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And the phrase here is, bring him to me. And if you remember the feast of the feeding of 5,000, The boy there has two fish and five little pita loaves, and Jesus says, bring it to me. The Roman centurion, bring it to me. See, that's a piece, is bring your problems to Jesus, and amazing stuff happens. But there's another story. The man says, I brought my son to your disciples, but they were unable to heal him. Now, it's not Peter, James, and John. This is the other disciples. And remember back in Matthew 10 that these disciples had been given authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Jesus had already given them the authority to do that, but they were, they were unable. Unable. Even though they have given the authority, they're unable. The obvious question is, why not? <laughs> why not? Jesus' response is harsh. There's no other word for it. His response is heart. You unbelieving. And he's actually quoting from the Old Testament here, Deuteronomy chapter 9. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You did not trust or obey him. And perverse, again, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32. You're corrupt and not his children. They're shamed. They're warped and crooked generation. It's cut and paste some of the words that are here. They are faithless and they're perverse, Jesus says. 
what he's doing is saying, this is like the people of Israel. Remember, they came across the Red Sea on dry ground. A few days later, on the other side, after a big worship service, they're grumbling because God's going to starve them to death here in the desert. And this happens again and again. They get up to Kadesh Barnea, ready to go into the land. God says, come on, let's go. And they say, no, you've brought us here to kill us. And see what's happened. These are people who've seen the Red Sea crossing. They've seen the mountain Sinai with God on top of it, and they still refuse to believe. This is not the first time they've done it. But there comes a spot when God's expecting you to step up. You've seen things. It's time to do it. So faithless means untrusting or disloyal. Perverse means misshapen, like a pot that didn't turn out right, or twisted. They're like the Israelite nation in the wilderness. They've seen the miracles. They've been given the authority, but they don't carry through. And they ask, why not? How come? And Jesus' answer is, you have little faith. Which is like the people in the wilderness. They've lost their faith in God. They think they're going to die in the desert. And then he says something that's just an incredible statement. If you had faith like a mustard seed, the proverbial littlest seed ever, you could say this mountain, move, and it'll be impossible. So (laughs) the solution for little faith is what? The solution for little faith disciples is (laughs) little faith. Now, if that's not a conundrum that'll just drive you bonkers, there it is. You have little faith, so what you need is a little faith. Like, what the heck is he talking about? Well, see, the the little faith is daring to believe that God is good to his word. And the word is, bring it to me. I'm going to talk about the power of faith. Gabe, we have a story that happened last week of little faith. And I want Gabe and Sebastian to share that story because it's, it's one of those stories. Let me get you the microphone here. This is W4, it says. Oh, you want the other one too? Oh, you want both of them? Goodness. Okay. It's better with two. Yeah. Okay, this one's on. So come close, because we've got a camera out there, and the people online want to see this, too. Hi, Sebastian. Hi. So this is uh, Salvador. Salvador, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and he goes by Chavo as well, so. Hola, Chavo. Yeah, hi. <laughs> Tell us what happened. Yeah, um, so uh, a couple weeks ago on Sunday, not this Sunday, but the previous, uh, Salvador and uh, his mom uh, were here with us, Cuéntanos un poco lo que ocurrió hace dos semanas. I'm going to ask him to share with us. Mi mamá se llama Guadalupe Chamaravilla. Ella tiene diabetes y no ve muy bien sus ojos. So my mom has diabetes and doesn't see very well uh, through her eyes. Le dije al doctor que no podía ver con el ojo derecho completamente nada. So the doctor told her, I mean, through her right eye she couldn't see at all. Pero el ojo izquierdo sí ve poquitito algo. But she can see a little bit out of her left eye. Uh, entonces, el nos dijo que ella tenía penas malignas en sus ojos. 
So the doctor told us that she had evil veins or blood vessels in her eyes. And you would have to uh, do uh, laser surgery to burn those veins. Y ese mismo día del domingo que vinimos a la iglesia, so that Sunday we came to church. Le pedí a Gabriel, so he asked me que si podía orar por ella, that if I could pray for him. Y for el hermano Tom y su esposa, and he asked Tom Nunciato and his wife if they could pray for her. Y al siguiente día que fuimos al doctor, and the next day we went to the doctor. El doctor dijo, wow, ¿qué hizo? And so we went to the doctor and he said, uh, was surprised, what What did you do? Ah, entonces mi novia me, me habló y me dijo, dice el doctor que está sorprendido. My girlfriend who was with her in the, in the office with the doctor said, said the doctor was surprised. Porque dijo que qué hizo porque tiene menos venas en sus ojos. She, the doctor was asking, what did she do? She has less blood vessels in her eyes than before. Y le hizo rayos láser en su ojo izquierdo para sus venas. So after he did surgery in her left eye, y mi mamá dijo, Miro más. his mom said, I, I can see more. La obra de Dios It's God's work. Está allí con ella. Is there with her. Es algo feo. It's something ugly. When your mom can't see. Pero de repente que mire más. It's, it's something beautiful. Yeah. It's something beautiful. It's something beautiful. Gracias. And so, thank you. Muchas gracias. Yes. <laughs> Now, let me make sure I got this straight. You're telling me that your mom had just blood vessels everywhere and they couldn't do surgery. A ver si escuché bien. Tu mamá tiene, tenía venas uh, inflamadas en sus ojos y no podía hacer cirugía. O sea, no iba, no iba a servir. No iba a servir. Yeah, no iba a servir. Pero el doctor dijo que no le daba probabilidad de ver nada. So, yeah, it wasn't going to work. The doctor actually said that she didn't have any possibility to see. And you brought her up for prayer. La trajiste para orar. Yeah. And the doctor said, what happened to all the veins? They're, most of them are gone. Y el doctor dijo, ¿qué pasó con las venas? Están, no están ahí. Yeah. Yeah. Sí. Muchas gracias, Julio. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's great. Thank you so much. Boy, what a great story. Oh, praise be to the Lord who does amazing things. See, the power of faith. No. I just, I, I just want. Do you have. Gabe. <laughs> Sorry. Do you have a lot of faith? Tienes mucha fe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> See, thank you. Yeah. Wait, yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah. See, and that's what it is. A little faith to dare to pray, and God said, yeah, we can do that. Now, it doesn't always happen, but see, the point of it is, when God works, amazing stuff happens. True faith, you see, is not certitude that God will grant my request. Now, a lot of people tell you, if you, have a, if, you have mount, if you have faith like a mountain, then God will move the mountain. And it's the quantity of your faith. If you have enough faith, God will do anything. And that's not the point here, I don't think. The point here is, it's the relational trust 
that what Yahweh says is true. That's the faith that counts. And so the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, well, Jesus, he came down from the mountain in all his glory to the misery below, and he's headed on his way to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he's going to turn himself over to enemies who are going to torture him and kill him. How much faith does it take to do that? Just enough to keep moving. And the mountain that moved was the mountain of resurrection, the mountain of forgiveness that came through that death, the gift of life that came through his resurrection. That's the kind of mountain we're moving. Oh yeah, we have healings and praise God for that. I think we should have more of those if we had more expectancy here. I'm just gonna leave you with just a question for the moment. Do I really believe what God says about me? Do I really believe that I am a son of God? Do I really believe that God is my father? Do I really believe that Jesus is my brother? Do I really believe that the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is in me? Do I really believe that? So I think for a lot of us, the answer is, no, we don't believe that. See, and that's the little faith. Will you believe what God says is true and act on that? It's a huge issue. One more. Am I listening with trust and expectancy to the voice of Jesus resulting in faithful work and service? Am I doing that? Am I? Am I listening with faith and expectancy or am I listening with, no, I don't think God does that. The doubt that Jesus calls out. Am I doing things for Jesus that seem good to me without listening? See, these are questions that are troubling questions, but I want to look at that. Worship team, why don't you come on up here? Because we're going to sing a song that's a song of faith. And that song of faith is, the song title is Do It Again. And that was a call that came out in the Wesleyan Revival, and it's, reckoned, it's echoed in the church ever since, and that song is Do It Again, Lord. And the do it again is go to the mountain and see the majesty of God at work. Do it again, Lord, means be powerful in me so I'll have the confidence to believe who you say I am and act accordingly. Do it again means for me to look at the wickedness in me and tear it out so that I can be great in the kingdom of God with a little faith, mustard seed faith, because we sing, do it again. Tony, let's do it. One of the questions I find myself thinking when I come to a sermon like this is, how do you do it? How do you be the kind of faith that will do a mountain-moving faith? Well, some things I think about, first of all, that Peter, James, and John went with Jesus when he asked them to come. That's the first thing to do is when Jesus gives you a simple command, say yes. 
And that command can come out of Scripture and come out of other things. In my own story, after I kicked out of Christianity at 14 years old, arrogant, questioning, and when the people didn't take my questions seriously, I figured Christianity was false. I was rejecting fundamentalism. I didn't know that at the time. Four and a half years later, as I was on the edge of suicide, and I discovered that there were answers to some of those questions, I went back to primary documents, I went back to the Gospels, which our church, we didn't preach the Gospels where I grew up because they were moral stories. I went back and I read the story of Jesus for myself in the night. And in effect, I said, why in the world didn't somebody introduce me to this guy? He is amazing. And I started looking at what he was talking about, and I started taking it seriously. And what I found was in those quiet nights, laying in my bed there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, pondering and praying over the stories of Jesus with a simple, prayerful faith, Lord, I want to know you. As I began to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, experience the presence of God. Oh, it wasn't terrifying. Sharon and I got married. We went to the Philippines. God made us go. It was stupid off the charts. But when God says you go. And when I got to Faith Academy there in the Philippines in 1969, I joined a group of people who were praying for revival at Faith Academy faculty and staff there at the school on the edge of Manila. And in one of those prayer meetings where we were just lunchtime sitting together, I had a visionary experience, never before, never after, but it was absolutely transforming. It's too personal for me to share here. But that visionary experience came in large part because willing to walk with God to that point and willing to open myself prayerfully and said, Lord, do it again. And he did. And I have seen astonishing works of God. And I've seen places where God didn't do diddly, which just infuriates me. But what I do is I find myself going back to God and say, God, why? What happened? Sometimes it's lament and it's overwhelming. But see, that's the little faith Jesus is talking about here. That says, I'm with you no matter what, like Peter. And I want to see your glory. I want the best. I want the deepest. And whatever it takes, and that often means getting us some of my self-life, self-righteousness, self-expression, self-importance, those kinds of things. Do it again, Lord. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. For Grace Community Church, for the Church of Jesus Christ, for each one of you here, for each of you online. Let's pray. Father, you are the Lord of glory, and many times it's our lack of expectancy or willingness to go in other directions, willingness to present ourselves to ourselves instead of bringing ourselves to you for your transforming experience. Show us those places where our unbelief and our twistedness keeps us from seeing you and being able to do you the things you want us to do. Holy Spirit, move in our church, I pray, that we can once again see the power of your faith like we saw in that simple prayer of faith where you cleaned eyes out of veins to a large degree and enabled surgery that was impossible prior to that. And I just see the tears. 
That's our response. With rejoicing and tears, we say, do it again, Lord Jesus. Amen. Take that faith and change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.